It was 1991, and I was working at a video store. As you might guess, in addition to the many movie fans who came into the store, a lot of the people who worked at the store were also movie fanatics, and we discussed film all day long. I had heard about the movie The Rocketeer. I can't remember what magazine or TV show featured it, but the styling, the era, everything about it spoke to me, and I was very excited to see it. I even remember seeing a trailer for it during the movie What About Bob, which had come out a little bit earlier than The Rocketeer. This was the first time I saw it on the big screen. And when I saw the visuals, even in trailer format, I thought, well, this movie's going to work. This is going to be the biggest movie in the world. At the video store, I talked about it incessantly. Finally, the weekend came where The Rocketeer was going to hit our local theater, and I was there on day one. When it ended, I almost wanted to stand up and clap. But oddly enough, I was the only one. I thought that was weird. How is it that nobody else understood how amazing this film was? I chalked it up to people being people. Then something weird happened. The next day I went to work and I wanted to talk to my coworkers about the film. They had all seen it as well, so this was going to be a great conversation. When I asked them their opinion, they said it was okay. My head almost exploded. How could something as amazing as The Rocketeer just be described as okay? While I'm not prone to overreaction, I do think I might have gotten a little emotional, which had the side effect of me being left alone for most of the day. The whole time, all I was thinking is, how do they not like the Rocketeer? When you are a fan of something, one thing you need to learn is that not everybody else shares your fandom, nor should they. There have been many movies and TV shows before and after the Rocketeer that I was excited for, that, for some reason, never caught on. I'm thinking of a movie like Willow, which I was also convinced was going to be a huge hit, or a TV show like The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. Both, to me, were solid pieces of entertainment that I thought would find a home, and they never did. It's not great when something that you are a fan of gets overlooked, or at least, in your opinion, overlooked. Because all you can think about is how many people need to appreciate this, or how this thing should be more influential on other entertainment. You can't force people to love the things you love. But when not a lot of people love the thing you love, the people that you find who love those things that you love, you instantly have something in common with. It's probably an older definition of what would have been described as geekdom before the definition of it expanded tremendously in the last couple of years. But still, the idea is solid. You can be sad that there are things you love that are just never going to be loved by everyone else. But the great thing is, there are people who feel that same way about that same thing. And when you meet them, because you have these deep feelings about it, you also have a deeper connection with that person. And while that might not get me a sequel to The Rocketeer, it's a pretty great thing. So on today's show, I'd like to talk to you about one of those movies that I just can't understand why it wasn't more popular. The Rocketeer. We'll talk about the people in front of and behind the camera, 
we'll talk about where the Rocketeer comes from. We'll talk about the music, the limited product tie-ins, and we'll throw in a few surprises here and there. We have an info-packed episode ahead of us, so without further ado, let's start the show. Rocketeer is a 1991 action film set in 1938. It is about a stunt pilot named Cliff Secord who finds a rocket pack and uses it to become a superhero, fighting Nazis and saving the day. The Rocketeer got its start as a comic book written and drawn by comic artist Dave Stevens. The character is an homage to the heroes that would appear in serialized films that ran from the 1930s to the 1950s. These were smaller films that they would put at the front of the feature presentation in a theater. They're also the inspiration for Indiana Jones. The comics are beautifully illustrated and have a very retro feel to them. David Lee Stevens passed away in 2008, was born in 1955. His earliest work was inking the Tarzan newspaper comic strip. He would later assist on the Star Wars newspaper comic strips. He would then move into television, drawing storyboards for Hanna-Barbera, TV shows like The Super Friends and the Godzilla Power Hour. He would continue working throughout the 70s, doing storyboard illustrations, and even in the 80s would work on projects like Raiders of the Lost Ark and the Michael Jackson video Thriller. The first comic book featuring The Rocketeer was released in 1982. It was actually attacked on or second feature in Mike Grell's Pacific Comics Star Slayer series. If you're ever looking for them, they're issues number one and number two, although they've become quite collectible nowadays. There were often very long delays between releases of Rocketeer issues, and that's because of the very obvious care that Stevens put into every issue of it. Lots of research, lots of very beautiful drawings, Stevens had based the Rocketeer character on film characters, and so it was even obvious to him that this would make a great movie. And right away, the film rights were purchased from Stevens in 1983. Those were purchased by Steve Miner, who started to play around with the concept and got really far away from the original, and the rights would revert back to Stevens. Stevens was then approached by Danny Bilson and Paul DeMeo in 1985. They obviously loved the material, and so he gave them a free option on the Rocketeer rights. Stevens thought their ideas for the Rocketeer were heartfelt and affectionate tributes to the 1930s movie serials with all the right dialogue and atmosphere. Most people would approach my characters contemporarily, but Danny and Paul saw them as pre-war mugs. While they had the best of intentions, there wasn't a lot of interest, and... Stevens, DeMeo, and Bilson actually started thinking that 
perhaps they should try to make The Rocketeer as a low-budget film, sort of like the serials of old. That would have made the entire thing this sort of meta version of what it was based on. They would approach William Deere to get involved in the project, and at that point they decided that maybe they could do better, maybe they could do bigger, and started to flesh out the story, making a bigger film, something that Hollywood would have to make. Now, there is a pinup model named Betty Page, who figures quite prominently into the Rocketeer mythology. The girlfriend in the original comic book is based on Betty Page. And if you do a search on Betty Page, you will probably instantly recognize her as a giant influence on pinup culture, because this could be a family-friendly film, and because there was some nude modeling associated with Betty Page and the Betty character in the comic. They changed her from Betty to Jenny and changed her profession to give things a more G rating. When they finished in 1986, comic book movies weren't on the radar yet. Batman 89 was still three years away. So when they were pitching this film, nobody was interested. A lot of people didn't like that it was set in the past, but one studio recognized that perhaps there was some potential, at least some marketing potential for the film, and that was Walt Disney Studios. Disney signed them to a contract that would allow them to make a trilogy of films and put them in the studio's Touchstone Pictures label. That's important that it was originally in Touchstone because that would have allowed them to do things that were not so family-friendly. Disney studio chairman Jeffrey Katzenberg at the time liked the idea but thought that the Rocketeer should come into Disney Studios. When that happened, the film had to be even more G-rated. They also tried to push for the film to be set in modern times because everybody thinks that nothing from the past is ever going to be enjoyed by people in the now. They argued that, hey, remember the Indiana Jones films? Those were set in the past and were very popular, and that seemed to be convincing enough. That didn't mean that there was not an endless series of rewrites. There was. But after years of back and forth, The Rocketeer would go into production on September 19, 1990, and they would continue filming until January 22, 1991. It wasn't supposed to be that long. They actually went almost two months over schedule because of mechanical problems and weather. When you're filming outside, that's a problem. Two people wrote the film, Daniel Bilson and Paul DeMeo. They were frequent collaborators. DeMeo passed away in 2018. They worked on TV shows like The Flash in 1990 and The Sentinel. They also did comic book work together, but The Rocketeer was by far their biggest collaboration together. William Deere, who had helped early on in the film, would be replaced by director Joe Johnston. Joseph Johnston is an American film director, directed a lot of films that you will recognize. Jumanji, Jurassic Park 3, Captain America, The First Avenger, The Underrated October Sky, and of course The Rocketeer. Johnston did a great job, as did everyone who was associated with the film. The original budget of the film was $25 million, but as Disney started to see dailies, they became impressed, and the budget quickly rose to $35 million, as they realized this could be a big hit for them. You'll see a lot of that budget on screen. Some of the best things about this film are the old airplanes that they use. Just remarkable. These are planes that hadn't been flown in decades that were revived to be shown in this film. And some of them are still in museums now. One of them is at the Museum of Flight in Seattle, and I smile every time I walk by it. 
Backed by popular demand, your favorite old-time chewing gums, Beeman's Blackjack and Clove. A totally different taste experience, Beeman's Blackjack and Clove, available for a limited time only. Now a little bit about the plot of the film. The movie is set in 1938, Los Angeles. It starts with two gangsters stealing a rocket pack from Howard Hughes. This rocket pack ultimately gets in the hands of stunt pilot Cliff Secord. He and his mechanic, Peavy, start tinkering with the rocket pack, giving birth to this mysterious new superhero. But we find out that movie star Neville Sinclair, who had hired the gang, and that gang is run by Eddie Valentine, to steal the pack because he works for the Nazis. We meet Cliff's girlfriend, who is an aspiring actress, Jenny Blake, and all sorts of action begins. And it ends in an amazing action sequence set on a dirigible. It is period perfect and is filled with all sorts of beautiful Easter eggs about Hollywood and L.A. in the 30s. To get this movie to come together, they needed the right cast. And a lot of people came in to read for the lead of Cliff Secord, Kevin Costner, Dennis Quaid, Kurt Russell, Bill Paxton, Emilio Estevez, Matthew Modine, Johnny Depp, and Vincent D'Onofrio are all up for the role. Disney wanted an A-lister to put front and center, but Billy Campbell came in and had the right look, and he had the right acting chops. And most importantly, Joe Johnston and Dave Stevens thought he was perfect for the role and fought for him. The next most important person to cast in the role was Cliff's girlfriend, Jenny. And it looks like almost every actress in Hollywood came out for the role, including Diane Lane, Kelly Preston, and Sherilyn Fenn. Ultimately, they decided on Jennifer Connelly. Once they had their leads, the rest of the movie sort of fell into place. While the role in The Rocketeer might be Billy Campbell's biggest role in film, he was also in Bram Stoker's Dracula and the film Enough. He would also be on the AMC television show The Killing many years later. Jennifer Connelly would go on to become an Academy Award winner. 80s fans probably remember her for her work in Labyrinth and the comedy career opportunities. If you're into cult late 90s cinema, she was also in the science fiction film Dark City. Did a great job in that. Being an epic film, it has a lot of characters. But rounding out the main cast, you had Alan Arkin as PVP body. Alan Arkin has been working as an actor for a long time. One of my favorite movies that he is in is The In-Laws, but he's also in Edward Scissorhands, Little Miss Sunshine, Get Smart, and Argo, a great actor. Another person who was up for that role was Lloyd Bridges, supposedly turned down the role. Timothy Dalton played the villain Neville Sinclair, who was modeled after the actor Errol Flynn, who himself was suspected of being a Nazi spy. Dalton played James Bond, 007, in The Living Daylights and License to Kill. He's also in Flash Gordon and recently appeared in the Penny Dreadful series and Doom Patrol. Two actors who were up for the role of Neville Sinclair, Charles Dance, who you might recognize from his work on Game of Thrones, and Jeremy Irons. Terry O'Quinn would play Howard Hughes. Howard Hughes was a real person, billionaire, aviator, and recluse. You probably recognize Terry O'Quinn from his role as John Locke on the TV series Lost, although he's a character actor who has appeared in tons of things. The final person I want to talk about is the gangster, Eddie Valentine, played ably by Paul Sorvino. If there's a TV show or a movie about police, there's a good chance Paul Sorvino might be in it. 
He had a run on the TV show Law and & Order and a very memorable role in the 1990 gangster film Goodfellas. My mother met Paul Sorvino at a restaurant many years ago, and he had come in and ate, and as he was leaving, she simply nodded her head and smiled at him, and he came over and was a charming, sweet fella, very nice, and my mother would not stop talking about it for months, maybe years afterwards, and I would not have been surprised if one day I came home and there were photos of Paul Sorvino all around the house. A charming fella, charmed my mother to no end, and I think that's pretty great. Paul Sorvino almost didn't get this role, which would have been unfortunate, but the person who turned down the role, Joe Pesci, I'm sure would have done something very interesting with it. There's at least a dozen other almost main characters in this film. Go to IMDb and check it out. There's some great people in here. Tiny Ron Taylor as Lothar is particularly great, and Max Grodencheck played Wilmer. I mentioned those two because they're both on Star Trek Deep Space Nine. One thing that a lot of people can agree on about The Rocketeer is that it has a great soundtrack, and that was composed and conducted by James Horner. It was released on Hollywood Records and has almost an hour of music, along with two vocal tracks that were performed by actress Melora Hardin, who you might know as Jan from The Office. You'll hear her sing on that show, and she's a very talented singer, but she also lent her voice to The Rocketeer. There was an expanded edition of the soundtrack released in 2016 with extra songs that were arranged by Billy May. The reason that that was an important release is the year before, James Horner had passed away in an airplane accident. Loss of a tremendous talent. Worked on a slew of films. Some notable work he did would be on Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, and James Cameron's Titanic, which is the best-selling orchestral film soundtrack of all time. He would also collaborate with James Cameron on the blockbuster film Avatar. An innocent discovery. I wouldn't touch that if I were you. A powerful weapon. I will not rock it. A deadly conspiracy. They're working for a Nazi agent. An extraordinary adventure. Jenny's in trouble. We've got the girl. Here it comes. The rocket will come to us. Oh, we gotta get one back again. The Rocketeer, rated PG. National Sneak Preview this Saturday night. The film was released on June 21st, 1991, in 1,616 theaters, and earned a respectable $9.6 million in its opening weekend. It was number four, and I guess the hope was that word of mouth would keep it in the top ten for a long time, and hopefully go higher up. Unfortunately, a lot of big movies were coming out that summer as well and The Rocketeer just kind of got lost in the shuffle. That very week, you had Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, still in theaters, and City Slickers, which along with the film Dying Young, were ahead of The Rocketeer. But even behind that, you had films that everyone would recognize even now, like Backdraft, Jungle Fever, What About Bob, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead, The Underrated Soap Dish, and Thelma and Louise. So week one, it goes up against two films that hadn't been out very long, Robin Hood and City Slickers. Then the next week, the sequel to Naked Gun comes in, and it's the number one film. Then the week after that, week three, Terminator 2 Judgment Day hits theaters. And then even after that, two movies that you'll recognize that did very well, Boys in the Hood and Point Break, get into the mix. And that's sort of all she wrote for The Rocketeer. It would continue to hang around in the top 10 up until about week four, and then would disappear. 
So on its budget of somewhere between 35 and $36 million, it would only make $46.7 million, which, while it sounds profitable, was much lower than what Disney had hoped. Disney put a lot of hopes in it. It was actually the first film to premiere in the restored El Capitan Theater, which had been under restoration by Disney for two years. Beautiful 1,100-seat theater. Disney would spend $19 million on TV advertising alone, and they had a television special documentary titled The Rocketeer, Excitement in the Air, which was broadcast on the Disney Channel in 1991 promoting it, and major tie-in endorsements with product lines like Pizza Hut and M&M's. Pizza Hut had these very cool meal deals that you could get that had the Rocketeer beverage. You could find a lot of that stuff on eBay for a pretty reasonable price. The reviews for the film at the time were mixed. A lot of people liked the special effects and they liked the action, but at the same time, they said it was a little slow. One of my favorite reviews and quotes about the film comes from Peter Travers of Rolling Stone, who said, The Rocketeer is more than one of the best films of the summer. It's the kind of movie magic that we don't see anymore. The kind that charms us rather than bullying us into suspending disbelief. Hits the nail right on the head right there. The film would be nominated for a Hugo Award. It would lose to Terminator 2 Judgment Day. In the Saturn Awards, they would win an award for Best Costumes, which are amazing. And they would also receive a nomination for Best Special Effects and Best Supporting Actress for Jennifer Connelly. The film was released very quickly in Laserdisc and VHS. And there it would earn an additional $23 million in rentals. So that sounds pretty good. As I mentioned, the musical score was also released on both cassette and CD. And that sold reasonably well. In 1999, they would release the film on DVD, although it's a very bare-bones release with not a lot going on. It wouldn't be until 2011 that a special edition as a Blu-ray. So you had a film, it did okay, but it did not meet expectations internally. Disney had all sorts of plans for The Rocketeer, and many of those might have even made their way into the parks, but the film was seen as a financial and critical failure. As I mentioned, they had even planned this to be a trilogy, but because it had not lived up to expectations, those plans were put on hold. And pretty quickly, by July of 1991, they had decided that this wasn't going anywhere. The film, though, did develop a cult following, and there have been calls for a sequel for a long time. In 2016, it was mentioned that a Rocketeer sequel would be in the works. Actually, I think they described it as a reboot, but since it has to do with somebody else finding the rocket pack after, it's actually a sequel with all new characters. That keeps coming up. It was mentioned again early in this year that it was going to happen. In the meantime, they have made a animated Rocketeer TV show on Disney Junior. It's an adorable cartoon, which features the seven-year-old great-granddaughter of Cliff Secord, Kit Secord, who finds the rocket pack and very happily becomes a superhero. I would love to see a sequel or a reboot of the Rocketeer film, and I'm sure if one gets released, I will be one of the first people to see it. Do I think it is going to be a hit? My guess is no. If I were Disney, I would focus more on the animation. I think they could do a very cool adult animated series of it, maybe even a continuation of the original, and do keep the Disney Junior one going. It's a cute idea, visually fun to see, and it keeps the Rocketeer in people's minds. 
after these messages. We'll be right back. Sinclair, the enemy agent, and his henchmen. This game for your Nintendo Entertainment System provides the kind of action the Rocketeer lives for. Blasting Sinclair thugs, snipers, booby traps, enemy flyers, and heavy artillery. The battle will lead to many places, from the Bulldog Cafe to a Zeppelin high in the Hollywood skies. So don't wait. Propel yourself into high adventure. The video game from Bandai. And now... Back to the show. There were some tie-ins with the Rocketeer. There is a novelization by Peter David that is very faithful, but it has some nice new details if you're a hardcore fan of the Rocketeer. Peter David is a very well-known writer. In addition to other novelizations, he wrote some great Star Trek books, including some of the Q series, Q in Law, Q squared, and one of the best-selling Star Trek novels of all time, Imzadi. You would think that since Disney saw the potential of the Rocketeer that we would have seen more toys, but basically you had a nine-inch doll that was made of plastic that you couldn't pose by applause, and a Bendem Rocketeer that had a pack that you could put on and off that wasn't really all that fun to play with either. Tops also had a line of collector cards, and they did produce some video games. There are two versions of the game, a 1991 NES game from Bandai that I think is a little bit more fun. It's a platformer, and it uses the jetpack in it. Nova Logic released a PC game that was more of a series of mini-games. This version would be ported to the Super Nintendo in 1992. Unfortunately, None of these games are very well reviewed or respected, but if you do have to play one, I would suggest the NES version. I think it's a little bit more interesting. There have been releases of Rocketeer merchandise since the Rocketeer was released, including reproductions of the helmet, figures. Most recently, Funko has gotten into it with their Pops and Legacy line of products. You also have beautiful Rocketeer figures from Diamond Select, and of course a retro figure from Reaction. The Rocketeer is a charming film filled with very talented people. It's one of those films that unfortunately didn't work for everyone. But to those who did fall in love with it, it is considered a classic. Remember, as time goes on, your opinions change. So if you haven't seen The Rocketeer in a long time, why not check it out again? You might find that your opinion of it has improved. If you've never seen it before, and if you like films like Raiders of the Lost Ark, or anything set in the 30s, or callbacks to old Hollywood, check out The Rocketeer. It's a fun film, and one might even say it's a lost classic. Thanks for listening to the show. For more retro fun, you can drop by the website at retroist.com. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at twitter.com slash retroist. The music you hear on the show is by Peachy. You should follow Peachy on Twitter, He's at twitter.com slash peachypixel8. That's peachy, then the word pixel, then the number eight. Just look for the Welsh flag. This is the first episode I am releasing since I started a Patreon campaign. If you're interested in supporting The Retroist, you can drop by the site and click the support link, or you can go straight to Patreon, and that's at patreon.com slash retroist. I'm going to jump right in and tell you about some of the people who decided to support the show. Thanks to Abby Wellwater. Les Orchard, Vince Bray, Jeremiah Jones Goldstein, Mark McDonald, Greg Pear, 
pastel paperback. That's fun to say. John Duckworth, The Last Hometown. Johnston Van Ark. Mark Zodi. Mark Dirksen. Evil Knievel. Steve Hanna. Flip the Table. David Wall. Bill Beams. Justin Salvato. And Chad Koslowski. Thank you all for jumping aboard. And I hope to connect with more of you who listen to the show there. Thanks to everyone for supporting and listening to the show. And I hope you have a great weekend. Disney might have miscalculated because that week, this blockbuster film was defeated by the film. What film was that? Where am I? This has been a Rush production. Goodbye.